So let's turn in our Bibles now to Ephesians 2, and let's read this together. We're going to read the whole thing again, and I promise you this will be our last time for a little bit that we'll do this. Let's read, starting in verse 1. And you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the minds, and were by wrath, were by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Boom. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him with the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now to recap quickly on what we've been talking about in 1 through 10, Verses 1 through 3 sets up the state of mankind and the death of mankind. The spiritual death of mankind. The inability in of themselves, of, of ourselves, to regenerate ourselves. Dead do not make themselves come back alive. Something has to happen. And something has happened. Verse 4, divine intervention. God has intervened on our behalf. What needed to take place has taken place in the work of God in verse 4. But God. In verses 4 through 7, we see the, the, and the attributes of God manifested in His intervention and, and, and loving mankind and saving them or saving the elect. It says, uh, is, what is it? I've got it written down here. God's rich mercy, God's great love, and His glorious grace. I love that. And last week we talked about how we were made alive. That now the one who is active by expressing his mercy, grace, and love is taking those who were once dead and making them alive. We call this regeneration. We call this regeneration. The work of God in making something that was once dead now alive. He has regenerated us. And He has made us alive from sin. He has made us alive with Christ, speaking of our union with Christ. And He has made us alive to display His glory. God active. Us passive. Receiving God's grace and God's work. And today as we cover um, 
uh, verses 8 through 10, I want to show you how it fits in my faucet illustration I've been using over the last couple weeks. Right? So the faucet is this. The, the faucet itself, you know, you can use your sink if you want, or you can think about outside, faucet, spigot. And, and the, the, the faucet itself is the love of God. The means by which we receive the water, the grace and mercy of God, is the love of God. Because He loved us, what did He do? He expressed His great mercy and His great grace. The glory of God is the pipe that channels His love and affection toward those whom He is redeeming. And so the grace and the mercy is, is the water. And today, as we encounter two more parts, the grace, faith, and works, now we're looking at faith and works, we're going to incorporate it into this illustration. And we've been talking about this, actually. You might be able to figure out what that's going to be. Faith and works is what is produced by the grace of God and the mercy of God as that faucet has been turned on. And apart from that faucet turning on, Faith and works, good works, good works are not produced. So this morning we're going to cover that. In this passage of, of verses 8 through 10, we see, um, we see some pretty great truths here. Um, and, and I just want to kind of talk about that for just a few moments here. Uh, the title of my, my message is Four Solas for the Church. And, and solos is a word that actually I kind of wanted to name our, our church that at first, and, and I got vetoed. Um, I, think, I think Richard was the one who told me, no one knows what that means. You can't do that. And I wanted to call it solos church because, because it's kind of what we're centering on. And, and what it means, it's, in, it's a Latin word for alone, right? It's a Latin word for alone. And so when you're like, alone church, that's weird. Uh, well, let me explain. There's, there's five solos's that came out from the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. And what these are is that they are theological distinctives that separated the Protestant church from the Catholic church, right? And, and what they've came, they didn't just come up with these, they came from the scripture, right? And so that would make sense that the first one, the first of the five solas is sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. Right? Sola Scriptura. The second one is solas, or solas Christos, which means what? Besides Kenny. Christ alone. Very good. Christ alone. Here's another one. Sola Fide. In faith alone. Not that one, but in faith alone. Here's the next one. A little bit harder. Sola Gratia. Grace alone. That's right. Good job. You guys are Latin scholars. You didn't even know it. Sola gratia, by grace alone. And the next one, the longest one, sole deo gloria. To the glory of God alone. To the glory of God alone. So it's a little bit longer. So the, the five solas, right? Four of those solas are in our text today. Four of them. And I'm going to let you find out what those are. You can, you can search as we'll, we'll talk about them, but you can find them. Four of them are in our our, our text today. So as we've, we've heard, as we've heard, um, 
these verses, 8, 9, and 10 of Ephesians 2, we've heard it preached quite a bit, haven't we? We've heard it quoted, not by me, but we've heard it quoted. We've heard it misquoted several times. We've heard it used much, and it's used for making an evangelistic call to salvation, right? That by grace through faith you have been saved, so respond in faith and believe. Believe. Have faith. Put your faith in Christ. And, and we've been quite fortunate, and I know I have been blessed by the study of these passages over these last couple of weeks, not a couple, it's, this is the fifth, to slow down and unpack these passages so that we can answer these questions, how man can be saved and how man is reconciled to God. And so we've, we've seen it over these weeks. We've seen it actually starting in chapter 1. Chapter 1 talked about us that, that there was sovereign election before, before the foundation of, of the world. There was sovereign election that accomplished adoption and redemption. That's accomplishing adoption and redemption. redemption. Second thing is, is we, we see uh, divine intervention. We read that this morning in verse 4 of chapter 2, that God intervened on our behalf. Those who were spiritually dead and those who were wicked and, and dead in their wickedness and and he was going to be pouring out his wrath on us, but instead God divinely intervened and poured his wrath out on his Son, satisfying his wrath on our behalf that we may be redeemed and reconciled and regenerated. And that would be, leads us to our third one, is regeneration, being made alive with Christ to display the glory of God. And in this fourth one, we see the next part. The next, next part in the process of salvation, the, the, the progression of of salvation. It's the, it's the connection between regeneration, what we talked about last week, the making alive, and the effective calling of God. And we call this the, the doctrine of conversion or getting saved. Right? Simplify it. Right? Getting, getting saved. How it works. So salvation and conversion. Right? We, we know this process, right? We've, we've heard it. That as the gospel comes to us, God speaks through the gospel, through the preaching of the gospel, the teaching of the gospel, the sharing of the gospel, and He uses that to summon us to Himself. We call that the effective calling of God. That's when God powerfully speaks to us, calling us, drawing us, wooing us to Himself. And then at that moment, He gives us new spiritual life. That's regeneration, making us alive. And these two things come together almost simultaneously. Almost simultaneously. One example comes from Acts, when Peter preaches the gospel to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And as he's preaching the message the Spirit of God comes upon Cornelius, draws him to himself and saves him instantly. He's not even finished with his sermon. And he gets saved. Regeneration and effectual calling of God come, come together. And this work is such a mystery. We, we can't understand it. 
Peter couldn't explain it in Acts 10. He, he didn't, it didn't make sense. He's like, God, can you wait till I finish my message? I had a really good point coming to the end. Right? We can't, we can't understand it. It's such, it's such a mystery of how salvation works. Because at one point, we were completely and utterly dead, unable to make ourselves alive, deserving the wrath of God. But now, by His grace, we are made alive, born again. It's such a profound mystery. This regeneration, this calling of God. And yet we see this another angle given to us in our text of where does faith work in? Where does faith come into the process? How does faith work with grace? You know, from our perspective, from our perspective, the, the human perspective, it's, it's really hard to tell the difference it's really hard to tell the difference between the two. Between when, when, when someone uh, is regenerated and when someone uh, you know, confesses Christ. It's really hard to tell the difference. And there's a reason for that. It's because the regeneration is such a spiritual work. It's not all of a sudden there's going to be lights blinking on your forehead that says, regenerated, now confess. And they happen almost instantaneously. It's a, it's a work that we cannot see with human eyes or even understand. How does it happen? Well, it goes back to what we were talking about answering that question. Where does faith come in? It happens through faith. It happens through faith. How did God, how did man receive the gracious work of God? By grace. Through faith in Christ alone. By grace through faith. And, and this is where man is trying to understand. When we try to understand these mysteries, we can get really confused and, and, and boggled up. And man has been debating this, how God has worked out salvation for hundreds of years. What is faith? Where does it come from? Who originates it? And what is the object of faith? What does it do? What does it produce? And what I want to share with you this morning, that was just my introduction, by the way, of, of just looking at the text simply and letting the text speak for itself in answering these questions for us. And then we can build upon it, as the Reformers did, believing in faith alone, in grace alone. Right? We can build on that. So in verses 8 and 9, we see the first two, first two solaces for the church. In grace alone and faith alone. In grace alone and faith alone. Verse 8 and 9. First part, verse 8. For grace you have been saved. For grace you have been saved. We've, we've seen this before. Verse 5 was like, a, was like Paul just exclaiming out to us, for grace you have been saved. You can see the little, my, my Bible has a, has a line there that kind of brackets that off because it's kind of like, where did that come from except for I can see the rejoicing in the text that's taking place. For grace you have been saved. And we have now here in verse 8, 9 and 10 explaining to us what he meant by that. By grace you have been saved. And we've heard this several times. The grace of God is the unmerited favor of God towards sinners. 
It's the richness of God's goodness and kindness to those who only deserve punishment. That is grace. And the way grace has been so brightly expressed is in salvation. Not just in things, but in what God has given to us richly in Christ. And we see the emphasis of God's grace just go through not only Ephesians, but also the whole entire Bible, including the Old Testament. God's grace runs through it. You see favor and favor and favor and kindness and love and grace of God being expressed over and over and over again. You know, someone say that the book of Hosea is a book of grace. I'm reading it right now. And God is gracious in Hosea. We cannot demand grace. You cannot deserve grace. Grace is given sovereignly by God to whom He wills. If it's anything less, then it's not grace. That's why grace is not fair. Fair is judgment. Fair is judgment. Salvation is not of our doing here. That's what he's saying. By grace you have been saved. Salvation is not of your doing but salvation is this, as it goes on described in, I believe, in uh, uh, the rest of the verse and also in verse 9, that salvation is not our doing, but salvation is a, is a, is a gift. That salvation is a, is a gift. If, if, if all of a sudden your, your boss, if you have a boss or whatever it is, you know, that your, your boss takes your paycheck, cashes your paycheck, buys you something with that paycheck, and wraps it up and gives it to you at the end of the week, and you unwrap it, and you're just like, wow, this is the most amazing gift. I've, I've been wanting this. You've been hearing me. That's great. I can't believe you did this. And then they say to you that that was your paycheck for this week. That's not a gift. You earned that gift, right? By definition, it's not a gift. A gift is something that is completely free and unmerited. No, no strings attached. A gift is given when the gift giver decides to give the gift. Maybe this is one of the problems we have with Christmas this, these days and also birthdays. We demand things. Maybe that's why we can't understand grace is because we've been demanding things for so long. It's a gift. A free gift, unearned. Not of our doing, as it says. Not of our doing. And if it's not of our doing, then of course it is not of works. Not of your works. Not of, not of my works. And this shows us once again, and it, and it, excuse me, it leaves us. It leaves us with nothing. It leaves us with nothing to bring to the table to gain anything from God. Leaves us no room. Think, think about with me the, the futility of man's religious attempts to save themselves. The futility of that. That's what Jesus was getting at with the Pharisees over and over and over again. So that no one will boast taking it a step further. It's almost absurd. 
It would be almost absurd to think that we would have something to, to, to boast in of ourselves and salvation. We, we're not the ones who, who, who got up. It's not of our going forward. It wasn't of our decision. It wasn't of our willingness. It wasn't of our attempt. It wasn't of our allowing Jesus. But only the work of God. We bring no hour to the table. But God. And this is what we mean when we say we believe sola gratia, in, in grace alone, or by grace alone. Because we firmly believe that we have been saved by grace alone, and we will not put yeah but on the end of it. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. That's a book title, okay? I'm not, I didn't make that cool phrase up. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. You add anything to grace, you got nothing. Let's be careful. But we have much to rejoice in, right? Because by grace we have been saved. And we realize we need grace. We realize we, we need grace. So we have ability to, to worship and delight in God because it is in grace alone that we have been saved. Completely unmerited. And we know that it is the only human response that we can do in light of the grace of God is faith. Is faith. Because regeneration, being made alive, precedes our response, and he gives us the faith to believe. Look at that in the text. Tell me you don't see that there. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your doing. It's a gift. Not a result of work so that, so that no one may boast. The gift is not just faith and not just grace. The gift is salvation. And the gift of salvation is given to us by grace and through faith. So therefore, grace and faith are gifts of God, are a part of that, that gift. Faith, brothers and sisters, is a part of that gift of God. Faith is not natural to you. Faith isn't something that we muster up and meet God halfway. Faith is us going one direction and grace is going the other direction. That's not salvation. Remember we did the illustration of the dude swimming and drowning? We're not just drowning and we've got to swim over to the life raft called grace. We're dead. We're at the bottom of the ocean being tossed to and fro. We need grace. We need regeneration. And when we have regeneration, then we respond through faith. And so where so many people have a hard time understanding this and coming to terms between how grace works with, with faith and how they come together, brothers and sisters, it's clearly laid out right here. It's when we want to add something to the cross is why we're confused. Because we want to say there's got to be something more. There's not. Rest in it. Rest in it. Quit your striving. Quit your struggle. Quit your searching and rest in the grace and faith of God. One of, my, one of the commentators that I was reading this week said that these two, grace and faith, they are inseparable companions. They are inseparable companions. And faith is, is, a, is a living hope. It's trust belief 
It's a dependency that's, that's found in God. Faith is the, the very heart of Christianity. Romans 1.17 says, by, For the just shall live by faith. Faith is the expression of our be- belief. Faith is what causes us to believe. Faith is, us, is always growing. It's always being exercised. Faith is the opposite of depending on yourself and in your own righteousness. Faith directs us, points us to Christ and His finished work on the cross as our standing place. How else do we explain Christianity? How else do we explain faith to an unbeliever, someone who does not understand the gospel? We say it's by faith. You receive it by faith. I had a student who's genuinely searching for truth. Was genuinely searching for truth, and, and that's something that I can absolutely um, appreciate. Um, ones who actually are, are really searching, ones who are actually real, they're not afraid to tell you what they're thinking. And, and this, one was, this one was very confused, raised in a Christian home, um, but did not want to just accept what he had been taught or what he had been shown. And after much conversation and continual conversation with this young man and, and, and debate, I remember one time he just asked me directly, he said, how do you know what you believe is true? How do you believe it? I mean, he's genuinely asking me, almost, almost like Nicodemus, how do I know? How do you know? And, and knowing the great work of God in my life, his great work of grace, I responded by faith. By faith, I believe. Faith is usually uh, taught to us and understand, and, and I think, think this is what he was trying to understand because he's like, I don't have that. His faith is usually taught as that's just the, the natural human response in receiving salvation, but this is clearly not the case. There's regeneration, then there's faith, because regeneration gives us that faith by grace. And they happen almost instantaneously. They happen almost instantaneously. And in that moment, and, and in that moment when we, when we respond in faith because of the grace of God, faith does three things. Saving faith does three things. It brings about right belief. And, and, and meaning because, because we're accepting that, that truth of the belief, the gospel. There's, a, there's an agreement that takes place as well, right? Faith is, is also the agreeing with that, with that truth of the gospel and the agreeing of, of needing saving grace. And then there's personal acceptance. That faith personally accepts as well. We believe the gospel message. We depend on the gospel message for our salvation. And, and you, can't, you can't separate those three. You can't have one, like knowledge, of the truth of the gospel or the truth of the, the Bible and call that saving faith. Saving faith is, in, in the Bible is not just about having a knowledge of the truth, Knowledge of the truth is necessary, but just having knowledge of the truth that Jesus died, rose again for, for your salvation, does not save you. 
I'll give you an example for that. Give me give you an example. I have a friend on Twitter that I follow. His name is Bill Murray. Some of y'all might know Bill Murray, famous actor. Really funny, says some really dumb tweets, but really funny. Lives in Charleston, by the way, right? He has a home in Charleston, and he lives there. And, 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 and I, if I see Bill Murray one day, if I ever go back to Charleston, I see Bill Murray maybe walking on the streets, and he does that. Like, he walks, across, walks around the streets, and um, I think there was one thing a while ago where he, I'm getting sidetracked, I'm sorry, where people were taking um, engagement photos, and he, like, photobombed their engagement photos, and then he joined them in pictures. It was really funny. Anyways, but I see him at a restaurant, and I go stop by and say, hey, Bill, how are you? Good to see you, man. I mean, that was so funny what you tweeted, like, three days ago, and we start talking about this or not. What do you think his reaction is going to be? He'd be like, who is this dude? Security would have gotten me a long time ago. We wouldn't have gotten that far, right? So, so having a knowledge or about something or about someone is not really Knowing. Knowing them. The approval of that knowledge is, is not enough as well. Knowing the facts and giving approval of, of something and agreeing with them is still not saving faith. The Bible gives us many examples of this. The rich young ruler had enough sense to go to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? Well, you all know the end of the story. What happened to him? Went away disappointed. There's Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Acts 26, there's King, King Agrippa who, who revealed the, the belief of the Jewish Scripture, but after Paul preached the gospel to him, he accused Paul of saying, what are you trying to make me a Christian? Just because you have a knowledge or an approval of it, that's not saving faith. But the connection of all three of those is that personal belief. And this is what saving faith accomplishes, that, that knowledge, that approval, and this personal belief. And this is, this is the move from, from just being interested or being an interested observer in the facts of salvation in Jesus and the Bible, but to being a person who believes and enters into a real, right relationship with Jesus. Personal trust in Him that only Christ can save Him. That's saving faith. To sum it all up, faith alone, I want to quote from Martin Luther from his commentary in Romans. He said, Faith is a divine work in us. It changes us and makes us to be born anew of God. It kills the old Adam, makes together, altogether different men. In heart and spirit and mind and power, it brings with the Holy Ghost. Oh, it is a living Busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. And so it is impossible for it not to do good works incessantly. It does not ask whether there are good works to do, but before the question rises, it has already done them and is always at the doing them. And what we see moving here into verse 10, and from the quote really transitions us very well, that saving faith that comes by grace is exercised in good works. In good works. And verse 10 is, is another one of, our, one of our solaces, solos Christos. Verse 10, because in Christ alone, all of this has been accomplished. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ 
Jesus. That's why we say in, in grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They're inseparable. Everything has been accomplished in Christ. We are His workmanship. We are His workmanship. Workmanship, interesting word. Very interesting word. If you, if you look at the word, it, it has um, the connotations of, of creating something, right? Making something. It was used in the, uh, um, in, in the Greek culture quite a bit about an, an artist, one who's created a painting or a statue or a song or architecture or even a poem to create. That's my, that is my workmanship. This, this word is actually only used, the Greek word, is only used one more time in all the Bible, and it's in Romans 1.20. And in 1.20, it's, it's being used to describe God's attributes on display of, in, in all of creation. It's God's attributes on display in, in all creation. His workmanship in creation. And now we see the greater context of that is that we are part of that. Saved sinners now can display, recreate a new creation, His kindness. This is, a, this is a declaration. For we are His workmanship, that we are new creatures, not of our own power, but by the power of the Spirit of Christ. We have a new form. We have a form of righteousness that is now given to us in Christ. You are His work. You are recreated, made new, made alive, born again. Not in Adam this time. As Martin Luther said, Adam is dead. But in Christ Jesus, this perfect man, that is what we are made in now. And if it's true, if all this is true, and it's good for us, then it's a gift of God's grace. The gift of God's grace. And so we were created, right? So if that's all true, we are His workmanship. If all that's true, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. So here we see the, the, uh, the progression, right? What does faith produce? Faith exercise produces good works because we were recreated, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The Reformers used to say that it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. Meaning this. Meaning that it is our faith that produces good works. We're not saved by faith plus works, but it is faith that does the work. It is faith that, that does the work. Because our faith is living. It's not cold. It's not dead. It's a faith that is functioning. It's a faith that is working in us and working through us. It's now being exercised to produce good works. Or you can go to Galatians 2 and you can read about the fruits of the Spirit. That's the, the fruit of, of, of faith. All of these good works we now possess because of regeneration, being made alive, being made a part of grace. And I love the characteristics of these, of these good works it gives us in verse 10. For which have been prepared beforehand. <sighs> love that. 
that God in His sovereignty had good deeds in your life in mind when He chose you for salvation. That salvation sovereignly planned out before the foundation of the world, but it was also for our obedience. And in that new life, making us alive together with Christ from sin to display the glory of God, that gives us the new life to do good works and the faith to believe it. And then we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. This completely changes our mindset. We're no longer walking the course of the world. Verses 1 through 3. We're not walking that course anymore. Anymore. The course we are walking in, this mindset change, is one who has been saved by grace through faith as a gift of God. We walk in them. Grace is the means by which we have been saved. Grace enables us to have faith to be saved. Grace has us boast only in Christ. Only to boast in Christ. Pride is dangerous. It's subtle. It infiltrates our heart. It can corrupt what God has ordained. It makes us think that we deserve something. But grace has us boast only in Christ. Grace shows us our our need for grace every day. When we exercise our faith, by the way, faith is something that is exercised. It's something that is that is that is also it's given, but it's also learned to be used. It's like learning how to to walk, learning how to write, learning how to read, learning how to sit on a chair. It needs to be exercised. Daily obedience is exercising faith. Grace reminds us of our place. That we are his workmanship. That we are his workmanship. That we have been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. This changes everything. It changes our posture, doesn't it? I mean, it changes the way that we, 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 we are postured toward one another when we are offended. It changes our posture of pride and selfishness and entitlement to humility and dependence. Grace reminds us of whose we are. Grace reminds us who owns us. We're His workmanship. I believe that was the perspective in the, in the, um, in the parable of the, the prodigal son. I think that was the perspective of the prodigal son that he lost. He, he, he lost his, his, his posture of knowing whose he was, that he was his father's. You think his father's character changed from the day he left, from the day that he came back? It was the same. Let's not lose that perspective, but grace reminds us of that. And as we see in verse 10, knowing of who is workmanship created in good works now in Christ Jesus, that grace drives us now to, to holiness and obedience. It's what shows the evidences of grace and shows the evidence of faith being worked out. Every good work, every good 
fruit that has every, ever produced is done by God's grace. Not done by you, not done by me, but by God's grace. By God's grace. And, he, and by God's grace, He uses us. By God's grace, He's using you. That's grace. Last point that I have on grace here is grace gives us sovereign assurance. Because if it depended anything on me, I wouldn't be here today. If it depended anything on me, I would have been done a long time ago. I can't muster up in my own self. <laughs> I need grace. I need his work. I need, I need the faith to believe. I needed the faith to believe. And gratefully, the Spirit is working those out in me, and he's working that in you. Now, I told you that there was four soul losses in this passage, and I only covered three. And we didn't cover them extensively, of course. But the fourth one, I think, is not explicit in this passage yet. It has been implicit throughout this whole time as we've been walking through Ephesians 1 and 2 and will continue throughout the book, and that is the sole deo gloria for God's glory alone. So remember the faucet, right? Remember the faucet. The, the love of God is the faucet. The mercy and grace is the water that pours down on us, and, and, and therefore then it brings about that, that new life, that regeneration life that causes us to respond in faith. And the way that faith is expressed when one believes is confession of the truth and repentance of sin. And the glory of God is the pipe. And all of this is for the glory of God. When we, are, when we are captivated and delighting in the grace of God in those eight ways that I said earlier, we're delighting in God's, God's grace in these ways, and how He's worked out salvation and working out our sanctification, there's great joy to be found there. There's great satisfaction to be found in God. And when you are satisfied and delighting in God and finding joy in God and the work of God, what He has accomplished that you could not accomplish, then God is glorified. That is how God is glorified in your life. Sola Deo Gloria. So think with me as we close. Look at the loop that we've made. Dead in our works. Dead in our sins. Children of wrath. Following the course of this world and the evil one. And look at verse 10. Now we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Who alone could accomplish that but God? Who alone could accomplish that but God? Do you know this grace? Do you delight in this grace? I think if so, we can identify in this, this last quote, I know I probably shouldn't give so many quotes, but I think you can identify with this. This is John Newton. He says, I am not what I ought to be. Ah, oh, how imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be. I abhor what is evil, and I would cleave to what is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon, Soon shall I put off mortality 
and with mortality, all sin and imperfection. Yet though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say, I am not what I once was. A slave to sin and Satan, and now I can heartily join with the apostle and acknowledge, by grace of God, I am what I am. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace that you have given to us in Christ. I pray that you would continue to give us deeper understandings of grace. Help us to drink deeply into it. Knowing that that well never ends. Thank you for the faith to believe. We pray that you would help us to exercise that faith. Help us to see your glory and in this great work that we may delight in you, O oh God, that you alone may receive the glory, that you alone may receive all the, the praise, that we may walk in, in good works before this world, that they may see Christ who has created us, your workmanship. By grace we have been saved. Through faith. Not of ourselves. So that we may not boast. But we boast in you this morning, O oh God. Help us as we respond. In Christ's name we pray, amen.